Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, brought to you by Canon Plus. This week's episode is a talk from Dr. Greg Strawbridge entitled The Hammer, Sword, and Pen, Reformation and the English Bible. Listen to more from Dr. Strawbridge now from the Word MP3 collection on Canon Plus. Hear now the word of God from 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. This is my own translation. Every part of scripture is breathed out by God and is beneficial for teaching, for reproving, for correction, and for training in faithfulness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus far the reading of God's word. There is a scene in that greatest of all action movies, Indiana Jones' Last Crusade. (laughs) And in that movie, if you recall, they're looking for a tomb, and they're in a library in Italy, and there is a a staid old gentleman librarian who has a little stamp, and he's stamping the card, the library card. And at the same time, Indiana Jones has a bludgeoning instrument like a stand, and he's trying to crack through a marble tile to get down to the underground crypt. If you've seen the movie, it's a very memorable scene. And as the man does the book stamp, then the the sound of the crashing of marble comes down, and every time he does it, he looks, and it's like, and it's totally synchronized so that as he hits this, It's a great boom, and he does it a few times in this comical scene. It's very well done. That's actually what happened when Luther took a hammer and a nail, and every time he hit that nail to put it in to the door, the Wittenberg church door, something reverberated through all the world. It was starting a tremendous revolution. And so today, I would like to address with you how we have our Bible, as the Word of God says, every part of Scripture is for our good, is for our training, it's for our teaching, it's for our correction, it's for growing in righteousness, our faithfulness. And yet, to have that, you have to have the Bible in your own language. Sola Scriptura is meaningless if you do not have the Scripture in a language that you can understand it. And so Luther understood that very well. He produced the German Bible, which was used for hundreds of years. The language, of course, changes over time. But in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, from which I am, the Amish still read Luther's translation of the Bible. Pennsylvania Dutch is essentially the language that Luther was speaking. It's an old version of German. And so I would like to unpack the story of the English Bible here, Sola Scriptura, so that we may rejoice and we may utilize the Word of God. And I want to do it under three images. The first one you've already heard, the hammer of Luther. Secondly, the sword of Henry VIII. And thirdly, the pen, the writing pen, that is, of William Tyndale. So Luther, Henry VIII, and Tyndale. We understand that Luther was an unlikely 
person to bring about the transformation of Christendom. There is certainly mystery in the intention of God and his sovereign will working together. We make our plans, the Bible says, but God accomplishes his will nonetheless. And in this case, it was Luther who was able to go back to the source of the Bible. He was able to study the Greek text of the New Testament. And right there in the 95 Theses we heard read yesterday is a very important insight. In the Latin version of this, it says, do penance for repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It says do penance. That's what it says. And of course, you can imagine how the medieval corrupted Roman church took that. They developed a whole system of merit and sacerdotalism from that idea. Do penance. And Luther says the Greek text is metanoio. It is repent. It's not do penance, but it's repent right there from the sources. Odd fontes. That's the Latin to say to the sources. We have to go back to the original text of the Bible so as to render it in our own tongue, in our own language to understand it. And as that hammer hit the door and posted those theses, I think Luther did not understand how much every little tap of the hammer would reverberate through the rest of the world and indeed transform the world. When we move to the British Isles, and we see the Reformation take hold there, there is a precursor to the English Reformation, a man that was an Oxford professor. He was thought to be one of the greatest scholars in the world at the time. His name was John Wycliffe. Wycliffe lived in the mid-1300s. He died in 1384. And he began to understand that we needed the Bible in the language of the people. And he he really recovered or uncovered the same ideas as Luther, put the Bible in the language, sola scriptura, faith alone, uh, corruption of the medieval church. And at that time, the medieval church was quite corrupt. There were three popes. By the end of his life, there were three popes running around claiming to be pope. And it was very well known that there was a great deal of corruption in the church. Wycliffe saw this vision of getting the Bible into English. And so he translated the English the Bible into what we'd call Middle English. He lived at the same time as Chaucer's, Chaucer Canterbury Tales, if you've heard of that. That English is hard for us. We can't really understand it. We get about one out of every 20 words from that time because the language was shifting and changing. But he did a good work. He used the Latin version of the Bible, the Latin Vulgate, to translate into English, and scriptures began to be passed around. And it took a while because of the confusion of the church for him to be condemned, but finally he was condemned after he died. He lived to a ripe old age, 30, 40 years later, in the Council of Constance at the beginning of the 1400s. They condemned him as a heretic. Die heretic. Now, that's the way you want to go out as a martyr, right? (laughs) Die heretic. He was already dead, been dead for a long time, decades. But they dug up his bones. You know, when you really really want to die heretic, you you go to extreme measures. They dug up his bones, and they burned his bones. (laughs) But the ashes scattered, and as one report has it, it scattered into this little little stream, and then into the wind, and then into the Avon, and finally to the great sea, and then across the world. His ashes spread across the world. Just a hundred years or so before, the Protestant Reformation got going. In that time, there had been, of course, a tremendous Reformation taking place through the work of Wycliffe, but it was so suppressed it just made for a good 
tilling of the soil to wait for the seed of the Reformation proper in the 1500s. And at that time, there was a king on the English throne. His name was Henry VIII. We know that name. I don't know if you've studied the time period or not. We know that name. We know him principally for killing all of his wives to try to get, <laughs> to try to get a male son. But he plays a really important and critical role in your Bible. Now, I don't know what version you read, but any English version of the Bible is dependent on what Henry VIII did. And this is to show us that God has a sense of humor. God uses crooked things to make a straight line. And so it was with Henry VIII, who was a very wicked man. But because of his pride and arrogance, almost like a Nebuchadnezzar, if you will, because of that, he fancied himself to be an emperor. That's the way he's presented. He wanted to be like Constantine, the great Constantine that legalized Christianity. And so he saw himself as an emperor over his realm. And therefore he said, we have a right to have an English church not controlled by the Bishop of Rome, the Pope. And it was that, he utilized that idea and he got two great scholars to write it up for him. They were Thomas Cranmer, the person who wrote the Book of Common Prayer, the first version of it, and Thomas Cromwell, who was a political, he was his secretary. He was a politician, if you will. And very interesting, he he had them study it out, and they said, we can make a case that you, Henry, are the head of the English church. <laughs> but because of that, and because of all the workings that were going on, the break from Rome and not being under papal authority, it provided a space an opportunity for the development of English Reformed Christianity. And particularly through Cromwell, who was influenced by Luther, this is Thomas Cromwell, not the later Cromwell in the 1600s, but Thomas Cromwell, who was the secretary of Henry VIII, he finally got past this idea of let's get the Bible in English. And it actually came about in 1538. It was through Henry VIII and his secretary, Thomas Cromwell, that provided and ordered that, quote, English Bible, with a Y, by the way, to be placed in every church in the realm. That's amazing. 1538, that happens. In fact, the original uh, language of it said this, that, Whereas your parishioners may most commodiously resort to the same and read it. Just imagine an English church. We're going to put a copy of the English Bible in every English church. That was what was ordered in 1538 so that everyone may most commodiously read it. You know what commodious means? It's the word from which we get commode, right? <laughs> commodiously. What it is, it's a French word, and it means convenient, that the parishioners may most conveniently read the Bible because a copy of the English Bible went in every church. And just like Charles Spurgeon some years later, many hundreds of years later, would say, how do you defend the Bible? It's like defending a lion. You just open up the cage and it does its own defense. Once you get the Bible into the language of the people, it does its own work. The word of God shall not fail. It will accomplish God's purpose. It is living and active. 
sola scriptura. Praise the Lord that we stand in the tradition of that. And you look at how the English Protestants have shaped the world, especially the United States. It's a tremendous blessing. We stand on the shoulders of some great giants who were sacrificed. Not only Wycliffe with his post-mortem sacrifice of his bones being burned up, but also the chief, the chief architect and translator of the English Bible. His name was William Tyndale, the pen of William Tyndale. He lived from 1494 to 1536. Tyndale was a remarkable scholar who understood the work of Wycliffe before, and he also sided with Luther. He was uh, influenced by Luther's ideas. And as early as 1525, he was appealing and making a plea to the king, Henry VIII, to put the Bible in English. 1525. Now, just put that in perspective. When did the Reformation get kicked off with the hammer of Luther? 1517. 1525, this is not very long after this. He's first place in the emphasis to put the Bible in the language, in the language of the people in in English. And he wants to go back to the original sources, ad fontes sources of the Bible, not translated from the Latin translation, but translated from the original Hebrew and Greek and put in a fresh English translation right at the time of the very great flourishing of the English language. Look who else lived during that time. One William Shakespeare, right? This is the time of this great flourishing of English uh, linguistic culture. And he wanted to put the Bible accurately into the hands of the people. 1525. Now we know, of course, Henry VIII made the order for it to happen in 1538. So this is what frames the life of William Tyndale. Tyndale desired so earnestly to put the Bible into the language of the people. By the way, since all that happened with Wycliffe in the 1300s, in 1404, it was made law that you cannot put the Bible into English. If you had a copy of the scriptures in English, some portion of Wycliffe's translation, or some portion someone else did, you could be sentenced to death for having a copy of English Bible. Sentenced to death, and anyone that attempted to do it could be put to death. And so it was that when Tyndale kept pressing this point, he became a man who was hunted. He was wanted, the posters, wanted, God's outlaw. He was chased all over. He had to leave Great Britain. He went to the continent where he could take some refuge. And the Roman Catholics hated him too. So he was, he was a marked man. The, the English were after him and the Roman Catholics were after him. He only was safe in certain Lutheran and Reformed quarters, but he worked diligently and provided this tremendous translation of the English Bible. He said this, if God spare my life, he's arguing with these priests about it, putting the Bible into English. He said, if God spare my life, a plowboy will know more of the word of God than you priests. And so it was that God spared his life just long enough for him to put the New Testament and about half of the Old Testament into English. So indeed, God answered that prayer. And if we were to pray to saints, we should pray to William Tyndale. (laughs) 
we, we shouldn't pray to saints. You understand that. But he is our most patron saint of the English language, of the English language Bible, of putting the word of God into language and conceptions that we can understand. As it turns out, 90% of the King James Version of the Bible is Tyndale's work. 90%. It was Miles Coverdale who finished Tyndale's work. And it was Coverdale's Bible that was approved by Henry VIII to be put in every church so that everyone may most commodiously read it. 90% of the King James. And then when the Bible was was revised a couple of hundred years later in the revised standard version, about 75% of the words were Tyndale. Tyndale created for us the language of the Word of God in our language. He gave us the language that we have. The pen is mightier than the sword. For example, let there be light. That's him. That's his words. Am I my brother's keeper? That's Tyndale. Bless the Lord, bless and keep thee and be merciful to thee. In the beginning was the word. There were shepherds abiding in the field. Fight the good fight. He invented words to get the concept across like the word atonement, at onement. How do you translate this idea? What English words capture it? I find it hard even to talk about that one because people will say, well, well, what was the original? Wasn't the original word atonement? No, it wasn't. That's not, an, that's not a Greek word. That's not a Hebrew word. Atonement is not a Hebrew word. The word kippur is the word for in Hebrew. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, we have to figure out how do we translate this, but it's so common to our English knowledge and our English conception of reality. Can you imagine a world where you didn't have the word atonement? It's hard to even imagine that world, is it not? And that was William Tyndale, brother William Tyndale. Now, Tyndale was pursued, and so outside of Brussels in 1535, he was imprisoned. They caught him finally, and they kept him in jail for a year, and he was working on his translation while he was in there. And finally, they sentenced him to death. His last prayer, as a loyal subject of this wicked king, Henry VIII, he said, His last dying prayer was, open the eyes of the King of England, 1536. In 1538, the Bible was put into the English language by Coverdale, who used his translation, and it was placed in every English church. Hallelujah. Praise God. Sola Scriptura, the scriptures, are the word of God. Now, it's fitting that the way they killed him, very instructive. You know, if you want to kill a heretic, what do you do, actually? How do you do it? Light him on fire. That's one way. We know that that happened in the reign of Bloody Mary, who lived a queen of England after a little after this. We know that people have been thrown to the lions back in the Roman persecution days. In the case of Stephen, remember Stephen, great Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian faith, after Jesus himself, was stoned to death. Big pavement stones crushed his bones and his head. Obviously, Jesus 
was our true martyr, and a martyr whose death was atoning, a martyr whose death accomplished more than one could have possibly imagined. They did not know, says Paul, or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But through Jesus' work, his atoning work, his propitiation for us, we may be righteous before God. And that is what the word of God drives us toward on every page. The full and final and completed work of Christ and his resurrection and his ascension to be king. That's the story of the Bible. And Jesus himself taught us that all of the scriptures of the Old Testament taught that the Christ must suffer and die and rise again from the dead and that repentance must be preached to all the nations. Luke 24 says. Well, it's fitting when we think of the martyrs of Christianity. How was it that William Tyndale was killed? This man who gave us voice, who gave us the word of God, who gave us the revelation of God and invented many terms to convey that so that the language, the English language in the early 1500s has remained so constant, we can still read Tyndale's translation and understand almost all of it. The spellings are a little different, but you can you understand what it says. All the way through, well, how was this man martyred? How was he killed? What would you do? Would you pierce him with a sword? Would you let him bleed out? Would you just burn him, throw him to a wild beast? Well, this is how they did it. They strangled him. They strangled him so that he could not speak and died of asphyxiation. Strangled. But let me tell you, his voice still speaks. His voice rings clear for all these hundreds of years. It rings and rings and rings so that we cannot even escape the language that this man of God gave to us. Blessed be the Lord. In fact, one person has observed newspaper headlines today still quote Tyndale unknowingly. Think about how often you've seen lines like, am I my brother's keeper? This is standard language. We have William Tyndale to thank for that. The work of God through these men, Luther, through the enigmatic Henry VIII, and through Tyndale. And it's remarkable that Tyndale died in 1536 asking for the king of England's eyes to be opened, and then two years later, you get the English Bible. And that's why the English church has been so informed, according to Scripture, so reformed in terms of uh, receiving the teachings of the Reformation. It's because of the work of first Wycliffe and then especially Tyndale. Now, let me give you three applications to hammer this home. In the first place, if God went to all this trouble through the lives and through the strangulation and then burning at the stake of William Tyndale to give us the word of God in English, please defend it and write it. Let it be the basis of your thoughts 
and receive as a gift the work of men like Tyndale, that you multiply. I think the image there is have 5,000 men to feed, many more family members than that. What are we going to do, Lord? Five loaves, two fishes. Tyndale had five loaves and two fishes, and God has multiplied it. And now you can use Tyndale's thoughts and words and ideas, five loaves and two fishes, and God can multiply it in your life. And maybe you, as a gifted person in the body of Christ, have just the special gift, just the special life story and character to do something so great in the kingdom that it is indeed exactly analogous to that little boy who had five loaves and two fishes. Secondly, since God went to all this trouble, please read your Bible. Since God went to all this trouble to give it to you, please hear the word of God. And three, please study it. Expose yourself to the teachings of Scripture. Listen to solid Bible teaching and preaching. Be attentive. Come to the Bible study. Sign up for it. Go to the small group study. Go to the things that get you exposure to God's living and active word. And thirdly, since God went to all this trouble, know it, obey it, and live it. Live it. Live the word of God. Live it out. Live out its basic ideas. Live out its basic values. Let that shape your life. Live the word of God because in Jesus there is life and he reveals himself through the word of God. Christ is revealed through the word of God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Enjoyed this episode? Be sure to check out more from Dr. Greg Strawbridge in the Word MP3 collection on Canon Plus.